Welcome to Drink Beer, Think Beer, the podcast that gets to the bottom of every pint. I'm John Hall, and this is a malt-centric episode at the intersection of brewer curiosity. In a moment, I'll be talking with Chris Cates of Little Animals Brewing, Brent Manning of Riverbend Malt House, and Andrew Zinn of Leveler Brewing. But first, please go visit allaboutbeer.com. There you can find original articles, reviews, news, insights, and podcasts. You can listen to shows like Beer Travelers, Brewer to Brewer, and the All About Beer podcast simply by searching All About Beer wherever you listen to shows. This show and all of the work we do is supported by you. Please go visit patreon.com slash allaboutbeer. There you can donate a few bucks and help keep the content fresh. That goes a long way to fund writers, photographers, creators, and editors. And if you'd like to learn more about advertising on this show, please email info at allaboutbeer.com. Speaking of that, Shopify's already taken the cash register online, helping millions sell billions around the world. But did you know that Shopify can do the same thing at your retail store? Give your point of sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash drinkbeer. That's all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash drinkbeer to take your retail business to the next level today. Go to shopify.com slash drinkbeer. A year ago, Chris Cates, the founder and brewer of Little Animals Brewing in Johnson City, Tennessee, visited Belgium and came back inspired. After visiting through some of the world's best breweries, drinking classic and carefully crafted Cezanne, he wanted to make a beer that not only paid homage to those beers, but also to impart a sense of place from Eastern Tennessee. After trying a few recipes that didn't yield the results he wanted, Cates reached out to Riverbend Malt in neighboring North Carolina to help him create a Pilsner malt that would mimic those that came from Belgium. The idea, he said, was to create a local malt, quote, tailored for diastatic and mixed fermentation with higher protein and beta-glucans and built-in minerality and buffering capacity. Riverbend achieved this by creating a water profile that was rich in minerals that was used during the malting process. Brent Manning of Riverbend says that the results yielded a malt that resists pH drops slightly better than usual and allows for additional lactic acid and potential ester precursors. We'll weave the whole story from start to finish as Cates and Manning join the show with Andrew Zinn of Leveler Brewing, who has also been brewing with the malt. Here's our conversation. Let's go back to the beginning and where this idea came from well it's a jump ball I mean, yeah I, yeah i think we could we all probably have a slightly different uh, origin story to this because you know like a lot of great ideas i think uh you know it's you one spoke first that, andrew so you go yeah <laughs> okay well I, I was just gonna say you know i think we kind of like all came to this together uh, a little bit on our own as well as coming to it together, you know, in discussion. Um, so there's no like true single origin, but I think I brought it up with Brent uh, years ago uh, in my capacity in my previous position as head of sour production at Wicked Weed. When we did a custom malt for our spontaneous program, um, I brought it up and, you know, kind of in passing uh, as, you know, an idea of mimicking more European malt and really just out of some personal curiosity as to, you know, what would this do? Um, 
I guess maybe it would make sense to explain what this is yeah. here. Um, so the, the water around the Asheville area is very soft. Um, not a whole lot of minerality to it. Um, the water in a lot of regions where barley is grown and malted um, is a lot harder. Uh, um, so I, you know, we, as a brewer, we, most of us uh, do a fair bit of, of water chemistry, at least thinking about, you know, what, what does our water look like? And the idea here is like, well, if it affects the mash so much, why wouldn't it also affect the germination and what is residual in the kernel when you get to, to milling and using it. Um, so we added brewing salts basically to the steep water um, as this grain was being, uh, you know, germinated and then, and then malted. Um, but yeah, like I was saying, th this has kind of been an idea that's been floating around in my head uh, as just a fun thing to explore um, because I hadn't really been able to find any literature about it being done. And uh, I think it took Brent, I think when I brought it up with Brent uh, previously, it was pretty much right after they'd opened their new huge facility. And he was probably right in saying, uh, we don't have time or energy to, this, to explore this right now. Let's just make you a custom malt. Um, which turned out great and, uh, you know, made some lovely beers with it, uh, many of which are actually still in the barrel and uh, probably due for starting to blend soon. Um, Brent, was that just an there. initial, was that just an initial polite blow off or did you think that the, that the idea uh, had some merit to it? Uh, I was definitely really excited about the, the water chemistry piece of it. I, I just, honestly, we were, staring down the barrel of all this new equipment that was not really uh, performing as we would like it to uh, out of the gate. And so I was kind of like, hey, I know floor malting. Can we just really do a, a truly under-modified Pilsner for you using some new two-row barley that we had at the time? And we, you know, we really zeroed in on controlling modification and limiting color development with that specialty malt or custom malt. And uh yeah, it was that was a, as good as I felt we could do at the time because I was just absolutely drowning in technical problems uh, at the start of uh, getting Malt House 3.0 up and running. Makes sense. So Chris, I think it was you also when you're trying to bring on drum roaster. So oh yeah, yeah, the drum roaster. I almost burned the building <laughs> down. So uh, yeah, it's great stuff. So Chris, how'd you come to this then? <clears throat> so. Um, we brew with a lot of Riverbend malt and we also brew with a lot of uh, European malt and, you know, regular domestic malt too. And I noticed um, when just uh, years ago uh, when we opened and I was, you know, tracking my pHs of batches, my pH with uh, Riverbend stuff would run 0. 0.15 to 0. 0.2 lower than it's, you know, european or regular counterpart and so I, I at first i thought it was a fluke and then i started tracking it over every batch we brewed to the point where i even brewed um you know what there was i i was one week i was doing our pilsner which is best pills and i was doing uh another beer it's probably a saison or something that was very similar grist bill uh with all riverbend pills 
And, um, you know, on the same week, I had the best one come in at like 5.25 and the Riverbend one come in with the same water additions, the same weight of grain, the same type of grain come in at um, like uh, five, one something. Um, it ranged between a little bit, but it was pretty easy to uh, rely on it doing that. So for the longest time, I just started aiming high. So on a normal batch, I would aim, you know, if I was aiming for five, two, five, two, five, I would just aim in the five threes and then my pH wouldn't fall too low. Uh, because I, I felt like it was a little detrimental when it would fall. I had some fall below five and like 4.9 something. Okay. Um, and, um, so I was talking to Andrew about that one day cause we just chat about nerdy stuff a lot. And he's like, Oh, it's, it's probably the, the water chemistry that they steep the malt with. And then it clicked our water here in Johnson city is very soft. The water that Riverbend malts grain with is very soft. The water in other areas where malt is made uh, internationally is somewhat hard. So I was like, that's it. That's It's the residual uh, buffering capacity from the specifically the bicarbonate in the in likely left over in the kernel after um, it's it's kilned. Um, so. So yeah, we we kind of uh through discussing nerdy beer stuff, we were like, oh, that's that's got to be it. Uh to the point where I think that what we as brewers perceive as functioning as normal, air quotes, <laughs> is somewhat relying on that there is residual buffering capacity to that grain. And that ours was lacking it. Right. Yeah, you were asking it, Chris it, that, or Andrew. Yeah, yeah. The so I I asked Brent to to get a water report, and sure enough, it was almost RO water uh, from the source. And uh, you know, if our water is very soft and their water is very soft, uh, some of that mineral minerality is certainly going to uh, precipitate in the kernel. Uh, as it's steeped and then kilned out. So a lot of, uh, we, we assume that a lot of um, international malt has buffering capacity. And then as brewers, we've come to understand that as functioning normal. Whereas when there is none, you might see a, an odd drop in pH. Uh, and for the longest time, just aiming high was fine for me. I mean, uh, a lot of things improved for us when we, when we just, bump the, the the calculated pH up a little bit, um, you know, a little better uh, ester formation. Uh, we got uh, a little better head retention. Huh. And, and I'll interject that it's, uh, it's not that there's none. Yeah, jump uh, in, Andrew. Just yeah. Less in this case uh, with, with, with the local water uh, and the, this local malt. Um, you know, it also may, they're, they're, you know, a million factors that, that, that may not just be the water, but we thought that that was an easy thing to, to target and something that as brewers were used to kind of targeting anyway. Um, and 
yeah, there's, I, an efi- there's an efficiency piece too, right? That we, we, that was also, totally. yeah. So like that, what Brent? That, well, and I'll let these guys, but to me, what I gathered was this, this was an interesting sort of, you know, one little, uh, pardon the pun kernel of knowledge to help, you know, our <laughs> other, our other customers, you know, have a better experience on brew day by just sort of, you know, not everyone is so meticulous on uh, data collection during the brew, but there were, I definitely took this information out to other accounts and was like, hey, if you didn't hit your numbers, let's go back and look at that pH and see if we're seeing this same dip out of that, you know, what is it, 5.2 to 5.4? Is that the target? Yeah, more or less. Yeah, and so that that was... Go on. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, no, it helped me just to kind of understand a little bit more uh, about the, the brewing uh, process, you know, and, and how to sort of troubleshoot. So this was this was uh, pretty cool to me because the, they all said esters, better efficiency. And also there's uh, Chris, did you remember better head retention as well? Yeah. So I noted better head retention because and I, and I'm this is all theoretical here, so I don't know this for sure but uh i oftentimes mash very low in like a like a mid to low uh beta range to you know produce dry beers and um my ph was dipping so low when i was targeting what i would normally get from my additions and stuff what i what would normally produce like in the five twos was producing down into the five ones or lower. I mean, the, the lowest I recorded was 4.95 from memory. But what I think might have been happening, and again, some some beer scholar might listen to this and be like, oh, he's wrong, but this was just my thinking. Um, I, due to my mash temperature and my pH range, I was targeting more proteinase than normal because I was falling below ideal beta pH and into um, proteinase pH where it's more active. And though I was on the high end of proteinase, I was, you know, right there and I was maybe getting a little more protein um, degradation than I would have been. The pH been a little higher and it was very apparent in the wart because my wart would drop so freaking clear on brew day that it was like unnatural and it would also clean from the kettle. So the higher the pH of wort is, the the less like kind of scummy it is when you're cleaning up. Hmm. And my kettle would just rinse like totally clean. And I would be like, it just didn't look as a brewer. If you brewed a lot of beers, it didn't look normal. Let's, you know. Andrew, were you experiencing anything similar? Um, well, I'll I'll give the caveat that um, for a number of reasons, uh, I use Riverbend malt for almost everything um, at, at this brewery. Um, so it's a little hard to have a benchmark on what so I've yet to make a beer here that didn't use Riverbend as the base malt. Um, so so I don't really have a great benchmark. Um, as far as pH goes, um, I my my personal experience was a little bit more that it didn't always do what you would 
expect it to do. Um, I kind of have been in the habit of I'll, I'll go in, pull my, you know, pull a sample, add lactic acid to get to where I want to be on pH. Um, you know, in general, I've been coming in a little above and then kind of, uh, you know, a little higher pH than I, I want to be and dialing it down rather than just like, okay, this is how much I need in here to, to do X or, or Y. Um, I'm kind of a little bit more reactive in how, I, how I'm doing things. Um, and part of that is, uh, you know, again, I've only been open here since November and still really, for, for one, that's always kind of how I brewed, but uh, uh, I'm, I'm still kind of dialing in my final processes. Um, but yeah, it, in general with Riverbend, uh, again at wicked weed that was always a, uh, an issue is that um there was a, a lack of ph consistency um not necessarily so much that uh that it was coming in with a low ph because sometimes it would weirdly come in with a higher ph and you know that it, it's hard <laughs> It's hard to say exactly, but it, it all comes back to that buffering capability. You know, you know, buffering meaning that you're just like kind of holding it within a range, uh, and the natural constituents of the water and minerality of the grain are going to hold it between that ideal five two and five four. Um, the the other thing too, Andrew, we might throw in <clears throat> difference in six row and two row. Uh, I'm wondering if that has totally. Like something to do with yeah it. we used well, a lot of six row down there yep and, and so this project was all all two row barley here um so i'm that i'm wondering you know husk and you know i know our six row barley quality was getting a lot better through that period that you guys were ramping up the um uh ramping up the sour, sour mixed culture and farmhouse yeah. series so yeah the other thing too i, I think yeah it kind of energized this project was uh Chris's trip with Bob Sylvester through Belgium. I, I think that kind of, you know, got us all in. I was living vicariously through his Instagram feed for a few uh, weeks there. And, I think most uh, of us who follow Chris were. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So that, that kind of got us in, got me in the mood, I think, to, to be a little bit, uh, you know, to kind of, to push this one into the production schedule. And uh, so that was super cool. So, all right. I feel like, Chris's enthusiasm got us a little bit further ahead uh, in this conversation, uh, which is great. Um, but so Andrew and Chris have this this conversation, this idea. Um, you're finally at a point, Brent, where you're not burning things down with a drum roaster or yep. um, uh, with your kiln or uh, and, and can think a little bit more clearly. So uh, these guys have a theory. Um they have a, a a desire. You have now the time and the capability to do it. How, how did you start coming up with the idea for the trials or or the execution for the yeah. trials? Like what yeah, went into that? For sure. So so we started. Stay with... Stay on script, Chris. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> the, uh... We have a timeline, man. Right. Right. Uh, <laughs> so we started with uh, a baseline water report um, of our incoming steep water um, and uh, took a look at that. 
And then Chris and Andrew were doing research on their end, pulling in water uh, reports from their buddies over in Belgium. And so all of these, and we kind of compared the two. And then uh, there's a, I forgot the name of the, the little spreadsheet tool, but it's basically a water building calculator that you can, uh, you know, add in what you're starting with and then, you know, play around with different mineral additions to get to your final target uh, concentrations. And so I took um, the data that, um, that, and Chris came up with, basically, here's what you need to add on a per gallon basis to get to our target. And then I spooled that up to um, our steep uh, regime, which is about 700 gallons of water per steep. So in the malting process, you've got steeping, germinating, and kilning, the most important of which is steeping. If you don't get that right, you're going to chase the process the rest of the time. So three wet, dry cycles over a period of about two and a half days. And so what we did was essentially... Uh, buy enough of, you know, chalk, gypsum, calcium chloride, Epsom salt, et cetera, to get to this uh, target water profile. And um, the way our two-ton floor malt steep is set up, steep tank is set up, is we have what's called a regenerative blower in it, uh, piped into it. So what that does is allow us to kind of rouse it um, by injecting air into it. So it kind of looks like a you know, just a, a big kind of bubbling volcano, I guess, uh, when, when we're doing that. And so we took, I mean, it was not very elegant, but it got the job done. We took a five gallon bucket of warm water, mixed all these minerals in it to dissolve them partially in that, and then roused everything in the steep tank, um, to keep everything in suspension during the steep and did that for that same, you know, load in so to speak for each of the three steeps uh before the grain was then transferred to the floor for germination and so that that everything about that you know the, the length of the steeps the the temperature of the water everything was the same as our normal regimen the only difference was the water chemistry that we were working with were you skeptical uh i would say i was really I mean, on paper, it. I, I've always been fascinated with this idea of like, you know, could we, you know, make black tea or green tea and steep grain in that? And would the grain take up those flavors and would that that flavor stay all the way through into the into the process and make it to the finished malt? Um, so but uh, to be honest, I had no idea what was going to happen. It was just going to be a fun experiment. <laughs> uh, so um and should I just go all the way through our side? Yeah, please. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So, so it goes through um, the three uh, same two and a half day steep process gets onto the floor. It, it's germinating. It's looking fine, but almost right out of the gate, we started noticing that things were different. It, it smelled different. It, it smelled, it, it didn't smell as like bright and vegetal as our, normal i'll call it the companion project uh, product to this would be a chesapeake pilsner which is gr uh grown using by are made using violetta barley from uh coastal virginia mm -hmm. and so if you were to put that on the floor it smells like fresh cut cucumbers it, it's very grassy and um it, it's just brighter aromas and so this was a bit more 
this farmhouse Pilsner was a bit more earthy when it hit the floor. It was still germinating in a steady cadence. So the first thing we look for is the chit to pop out of the kernel. And then from the chit, uh, we see rootlet material growing and, um, you know, raking the grain three times a day. But like I say, everything just seemed to be at a, uh, just a slower pace throughout germination. Um, we put it through the same kilning regime that we would the standard Chesapeake Pilsner, again, trying to do apples to apples as best we could um, from a comparison standpoint. Um, send everything off to the lab. We do our in-house uh, hot steep, which is basically just a malt tea. Um, and, you know, again, all, all of those so under modification typically uh, presents is like, you know, more of like a slightly undercooked pasta flavor. Um, it's just a little bit grainier, a little bit earthier. We lose some of the, the richer sort of sweeter melon uh, type character from it. Uh, and that's, that's exactly what I picked up in the hot steep of the farmhouse pills is it, it just didn't present those warmer, richer of uh, fruit character. Uh, it was not as clear which is also another, uh, you know, uh, sort of uh, point uh, when you don't have great modification, you don't have that protein breakdown. And so, like Chris pointed out earlier, you know, that brilliantly clear work, we, we just didn't see that with this sample in the lab. Um, and when we got the lab data back, it confirmed our suspicions. So we had lower uh, than expected uh, extract numbers, Color was great, 1.7 SRM, so that was right on target. Um, Beta-glucans were elevated. That That's definitely a, a very clear, you know, shot over the bow that you have not uh, modified the grain properly. So the beta-glucans were up uh, just over 400. So hmm. our, our normal Pilsner malts would be, you know, 80 to 100 typically. Um, and uh Alpha amylase levels, DP, they were all in line. Uh, the filtration time was slower uh, than normal. So uh, there's a lot. Of, and the S over T, the soluble over total, was um, at 40.8. Normally, our Pilsner malts are 43, 44. Uh, and uh, so, again, same barley, same place, same process. But this water uh, chemistry addition seemed to slow down the process of of modifying the grain and we saw a lot of that data uh come through on the c of a so uh, so I, I guess i can say with with some level of confidence that it did do something in the malt house to change the grain and the finished malt huh but now i can this, the strange oh yeah chris you, you go ahead and then i'll uh put in my piece please I can say in in using it, um, it it corrected my pH problem, which wasn't really a problem. It was just a, an obstacle to work around. But my pHs with the two beers I used with them all functioned as normal, and that, and that a hundred percent is due to the the built in buffering capacity from the water additions. Another interesting thing that I would touch on is so when the when the specs for that malt first came back. We almost were a little disappointed, I think, because the extract is a little low. Yeah. The beta glucose is really high, which is going to create a runoff issue for some people. Um, but in looking at it more, so I, my big inspiration for 
using this malt was I, I wanted to make a like straight down the middle classic Belgian saison, like not with any modern hop twist or anything like that. I wanted to do like a you know just a home run classic Belgian saison, a la Dupont <laughs> or something like that. But I wanted to arrive at it through all American ingredients. So it was firmly an American Saison, but it hit the flavor profile of Belgian Saison. Um, and my favorite one is uh, Blaugy. Uh, was it Saison uh, de, 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 de Potra? I don't know how to say it. The spell Saison. Uh, and using all this this uh, farmhouse pills due to the elevated beta glucans almost hit the same kind of vibe as that beer which is 30% spell and i actually looked in a little bit to the the ppm beta glucans like what that means in use the amount of beta glucans in the in the farmhouse pills malt are about equivalent roughly to if you did 10% oats in your grist but it's okay. just all Pilsner malt. Um, so what that's going to do is lead to, uh, you know, a little uh, fuller mouthfeel, a little bit viscous, which is really neat with a mixed culture or diastatic fermentation where it's eating everything else out of it. It leaves you a little bit more um, meat on the bone, let's say. Um, so, yeah, I mean, in practice, it it nailed what I was going for, like even better than I thought it would. More in a moment, but first, thanks to this episode's sponsor. You know that's the sound of another sale on your online Shopify store. But did you know Shopify powers selling in person too? That's right. Shopify is the sound of selling everywhere. Online, in-store, on social media, and beyond. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash drinkbeer. That's all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash drink beer to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash drink beer. And now back to the conversation with Chris Cates, Brent Manning, and Andrew Zinn. On my end, my runoffs have been slightly uh, quicker, uh, smoother, and which is not what you'd uh, given given the spec sheet. And my mash efficiency has been higher. Um, I'm getting, uh, you know, this, whatever the malt sheet, sex sheet says, I'm actually getting a higher, uh, extract than, than with the, uh, the Chesapeake, um, which Same. is the other base malt that I typically use. Um, and at Riverbend, or at, sorry, at, uh, Burial, when we use this Riverbend malt, he was, uh, Scott, the, the pub brewer there, um, was, Kind of, we we were just hanging out, chatting, and he was like, "Wait a second, we I'm a kettleful already, like like thirty five, forty minutes early or something," um, and kind of slightly overshot the the gravity. So, <laughs> you know, there there may be something else going on. Uh, yeah, I, but I whatever think... the the specs come in at, because because I, I you know I couldn't get that same by hitting the same pH. It's it's definitely not just the pH thing. You know, maybe the increased calcium. There, there's so many different little things again that are uh, beyond beyond my realm of uh, 
what I need to fill my head with at this point. I'm, I'll, I'll leave all of the, the science of the, the malt to, to Brent uh, for, for now as I continue to uh, learn and understand like basic accounting and all of that that I need to learn as a newer brewery owner. Um, Love that. But, you know, as, as a brewer, um, this like kind of exceeded my expectations as far as uh you know hitting hitting the numbers i was wanting uh ease of use like it, it kind of is a little bit more consistent as far as uh each batch that i've done uh i kind of intentionally between two batches added the same amount of of uh acid just to you know just to see what it would do for myself um, I don't have my notes out in front of me, but, um, you know, a similar grist with the same amount of acid gave me the exact same end result, which was, is not always typical for me. Um, so, so crazy. Yeah. I, I don't think we're done with this one from an uh, analysis standpoint, by by any stretch of the imagination, uh, I know we're. Yeah, we're almost out of the malt in your uh, in your warehouse. Man. Yeah, so yeah, could, uh... I've, I've got to pull a bag aside here uh, for for some uh, additional laboratory QAQC just to just to see because it, it really is intriguing. I um, you know I I saw that you know I think the the extract number was like seventy four point five, and I was like, oh my god, what yeah. it, what did we do here? And uh, and then th these guys are like, no, it's great, everything's going going swimmingly, Brent. I'm, I'm it's uh so I, I don't have a great answer for that side of of the ledger the only thing i'll say on beta glucans is that's kind of a catch-all number and there's kind of different molecular weight beta glucans that it can can cause if you're heavily weighted on one side versus the other they can cause more problems but your number can be the same so the the beta glucan can be a little deceptive but still 400 was was elevated beyond our comfort zone for sure is there a future for programs like this oh yeah i'm excited by this i mean i i, I think you know again the, the idea for me of you know when we when we talk to our customers you know especially as loggers continue to gain prominence as a style uh, craze if you will uh maybe we can use that term uh uh, not mad about it, but no, the, I, I mean, uh, Ashley Carter from beer status said loggers are on a 500 year winning streak, but you know, yeah, <laughs> I, I know what you mean. Yeah. 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 But, so, but you know, a lot of folks are, you know, this is kind of the, the, the final wall to tear down maybe for craft mall uh, is winning over, you know, some of these, you know, folks that are like, Nope, when it comes to, I'll do craft malt all day long until we get to lockers. And then there's a wall around that style. I only yeah. use, you know, Pilsner malt from XYZ malt house overseas. And that's, that's my jam. And, you know, people have always said, well, your Chesapeake Pilsner is the closest thing to the continental profile. Um, and maybe, maybe this Violetta barley plus water chemistry additions gets us one step closer to that, that continental profile that, that wins over folks to say, yep. Okay. Now, now you've got it. You know, you've got something that, that is right on target with the stuff from overseas and uh, I'm, I'm going for it. 
the very first beer that we brewed with the malt uh, yeah, was Chris. a straight straight up Pilsner. I think Andrew as well. Yeah, I'm actually sipping on mine right now. Uh, Jealous. I ended up doing it. I ended up doing a triple decoction on mine. Um, I've kind of Frankenstein my system into being decoctionable and uh, use that as much as I possibly can. Um, and actually have a sample of uh, the Hellas we just put on this week. That's all the uh, the Chesapeake uh, malt. Um, basically, the like almost identical grist, uh, except the two different malts. Uh, you know, granted, different hopping, different, uh, but definitely malt. different water additions. But yeah, like two very very similarly malt forward, very much Pilsner based beers, and I kind of you know poured those those for myself so I could think a little bit more about the differences between what those are doing. Um, but yeah, I, I, I thought it was really important to, to try running this as a, you know, as a Pilsner as well, or a, a, at least some sort of blonde lager, um, since that's a big part of what I do. And, you know, kind of in, in the back of my head, I've, I've been thinking about this as like something that we could like, hopefully talk Brent into doing again <laughs> and then again, and then again, and then again, and just make this be our kind of house, uh, you know, base malt that we use. And we'll, we'll talk off air about that. Brent, but, <laughs> but if you're interested in continuing this experiment, we definitely are too. And I think, uh, might be able to talk some other friends into for sure. More yeah, no. interest too. You know, people are, are, you know, I was starting to get uh, gently picked on by some of our customers who are like, really? Another Pilsner malt, Brent? Are you serious? Like, it, how many do you need? And, uh, you know, well, I'm kind of like, well, as long as I'm tasting differences in between them, I, I'm game. Yeah. I, I uh, you know, whether it's it, whether it's single origin, variety based, water chemistry, kilning approach, you know, a truly under modified Pilsner, um, you, you know, it's. Uh, my question to you guys, I guess, is, you know, is is the hard water profile in Belgium remarkably different from a harder profile out of Germany or the Czech Republic? Like, it, is is there enough differentiation there or is is this kind of a can we just call it a, a Western Europe hard water profile and kind of go with it from there? Well, Belgium is a small country it's like two and a half hours to drive across it and in the research that i did there's pretty wildly different water profiles just across belgium i don't Hmm. know what the water profiles look like in germany my understanding is that the czech water profiles are very soft Mm -hmm. so you're you're um Check pills. Uh, yeah, check yeah, pills. But Moravia is different. Yeah. yeah. Your your check pills may be more spot on than than you think because yeah. you know their water is very soft there, allegedly. Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> but you know, I to to come up with the water profile, I uh, talked to a couple of brewers I know in Belgium, and then I also just Google searched around and I saw, you know, one ro- alleged water profile in you know, Brussels, Antwerp, um, Mons, um, a friend of mine that works at the brewery Duranka, uh, gave me theirs. Um, and the, the, the one thing they all shared was the bicarb was a high, mm-hmm. you know, calcium, mag, magnesium, sulfate, 
were all pretty elevated, some more elevated than others. Uh, and I, I would imagine uh, similar in the UK as well, but I can't speak to that with accuracy because I don't know. Oh, yeah, that would be a, another potential, uh, you, you know, uh, the UK water profile to make like the classic, uh, you know, English old school IPA. Um, I, I could be fun. I'm I'm all for that. <laughs> Love it. But yeah, you know, from from a functionality standpoint, the 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 our production team, you know, is uh you know, I think I can do a little arm twisting to get them to to play along uh to make this. You know, making it at the 10 ton scale might be a little tricky because we do have uh the the plumbing is a little bit more uh hard piped uh from there, but um but yeah, we we've got um, we've got capacity on the the two ton uh, floor malt line to to tinker some more with this and uh, potentially improve the process. So um, yeah, I'm excited about it. I, I think you know this is you know like I said uh, you know maybe we can play around with silly things like you know green tea and uh, you yeah, know, I, I liked when you brought that like, up earlier. Yeah, yeah I, I mean it, it's complete lunacy from a, a you know malt science standpoint, but you know, a fun experiment nonetheless to see if uh, something like that, you know, uh, uh, maybe that's Have you something. guys seen, I'm what? sorry, Brent, I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, you're good. You're good. Uh, no, I was just thinking, you know, with the, the uh, I've tasted so many beautiful rice lagers uh, lately. I'm wondering, you know, if a, a green tea infused Pilsner malt could, could, you know, supply something, uh, some additional flavor notes to that style. Sounds like a great Saison too. Oh yeah. 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 For sure. Your your email is about to be flooded with uh, <laughs> yeah, tens of brewers who are excited about this. Right, exactly. Yeah, t <laughs> tens of brewers. That, that's exactly right. So, yeah. No, I would love to see that. I, I think you know, there, there's probably much more um, interest in that than maybe Rauk malt, which is disappointing. But right, um, right. Yeah, we'll get there. We'll get we there. Are, we're slowly marching towards it. Um, Andrew, were you going to jump in with something? Well, I was just going to say, you know, I think to me what would be most interesting is, you know, now we base this on a specific, you know, kind of Belgian profile. Uh, it'd be really interesting to look at some of those other growing regions, you know, again, again like in the Czech Republic, you know, the, the Pilton area, the Barbaric or uh, uh, Bohemia is, is, is pretty soft water. But once you get out uh, towards Moravia, it's, it's you know getting into the mountain the Carpathian Mountains and it's totally different you know groundwater chemistry um, which I don't really know much about it yet but you know same for you know the middle of England where where they're growing barley and or well southern you know looking at all of these different regions and kind of like okay in all of these regions is there anything that particularly spikes um, and you know, there's also some level that a, you know, when we're doing a mash and you drop in a bunch of water chemistry additions, um, you know, different bring salts, it can be swayed quite a bit. You know, what a, a particular, you know, barley corn is going to uptake during the steep is a little different. I think it'd be really interesting to see, you know, is there a maximum amount that it's uptaking and, uh, you know, is this a, a, a push or a nudge that we're doing um, with our our chemistry here? And 
you know, does a, you know, is it like a part per million or a part per billion that it's, that it's pulling up? Because either one can still make a, a pretty big difference in the end result. And that may affect, you know, if this is just a, a thing that's going to increase efficiency across the board and, you know, get more consistency and end result for brewers, you know, looking at that, those large batch systems, just from, from, from my, my standpoint as a brewer, like, you know, Brent, if it only takes, you know, a one 10 gallon addition to your enormous steep tank. Yeah. Then, then all of a sudden it makes, yeah, just get a, get a, a, a cellar brink and push it in. Right. Um, but you know, if the amount that we needed to add to our, uh, to this two ton batch is actually, you know, if that's what you need to actually make the difference, then it becomes a bigger conversation. Um, yeah, no, that, and also, that's, you know, the amount that go, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, no, I'm saying that just to that point, you know, in, in each 700 gallon batch, there was like four or five pounds of salt added. So, I mean, it, it's, it's not a, a huge kind of heaven and earth thing, but I, I like the idea of the brink uh, piping in that could make things really easy from a production standpoint. Yeah. I, I think I you mean, guys are workshopping can... this right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, as, again, as an, like an end user, uh, you know, uh, from the brewing side of things, I would love to see this continue and get dialed in a little bit more. And, uh, you know, it for for me, this made a a, a massive difference. Um, I, I mean, I, I'm like I said, I use a ton of riverbed malt for a ton of different reasons, both on the quality side and because I can reliably get the exact milling that I I want without owning my own mill because I don't have a place for it. Even down to I can get stuff delivered to me. Um. But you know, I I, I have I, I think the the actual character of the malt has a unique little you know I hesitate to use terroir because I think it's an overused kind of a, a become a cliched term but right no but but no I there just, is I, just well, I, I mean brewing traditions are built around using local ingredients and. We don't do enough of that in the U.S. And I think there's a lot of, well, I'm going to use, you know, Czech malt to make this Czech beer. And, you know, they're getting malt that didn't sit on a ship for a month and a half and didn't sit in the warehouse for another six months and a half and, uh, you know, et cetera, et cetera. There, yeah. there are a lot more factors than just using that ingredient from that place. And I think we can be making a lot better beer having these dialogues with the producers of our raw ingredients and being able to, you know, in a, in a lot of ways, it's like uh, a, a brewer going out for hop selection and saying, okay, I really, you know, I like my Simcoe that's harvested early. So it gets a little bit less of that cat piss. Um, or in my case, I actually want that diesel and cat piss in it. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it's because those don't end up translating into the end product and and i think just looking at a spec sheet doesn't really tell you that much about what malt actually is going to do um 
I think there's just an area that feels underexplored. And instead of just buying a product off the shelf, thinking about the bigger picture of why a thing does a thing um, is really fun and interesting. And it's kind of like, you know, this is craft malt. We're really kind of taking this American craft brewing approach to like, not just like, what are we looking for? But like, why, why were choices made? Why? And, and by choices, I mean, like even down to like, where's the malt house located? Um, and we're not necessarily tied to just using our water here. We're kind of, we're able to take our water and make it mimic somewhere else's. And that's really, really fun and really, uh, exciting. Yeah. Yeah. No. And you, you, you nailed it. I mean, it, it's to me, it's like what we're doing. It, it's like, it's bridging those gaps between classic styles and sort of the walls that people build around these things. It's like, no, actually we've got ingredients here now that, that can do a lot of the heavy lifting that you're looking for, you know? So this is uh super cool stuff and uh, yeah. Looking forward to writing the next chapter. I, I love it. Yeah. This is um, these are the fun shows for me because I I don't even have to do anything. I just let you guys do all the work and just sit here <laughs> and uh, and 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 learn and listen. So, um, uh, being mindful of time, though, is there anything that we didn't that we didn't get to? I mean, I know Chris, you said the the beers that you've that you've made, um, they've been well received and that you've been enjoying them. And then Andrew, you're you're sipping on one right now and, um. And enjoying it has consumer response been positive thus far yeah in my experience uh, i mean we we brewed um a pilsner that was just called farmhouse pills and then it's kind of a joke around here because people are like why is a pilsner a farmhouse and like oh it's just the name of the pilsner that we brewed it with um but uh that was our I, working title for ours also <laughs> i love it in yeah. in um making uh you know, I, I was like, we've, we've got this malt here that we were, we had a hand in designing. So I got to brew a pills with it because that's going to be the best way to taste it. But the, the intent for me was to brew the Saison that I mentioned earlier. Um, and so the Pilsner and the Saison were identical, uh, same hops, same grain and everything. Just one was fermented with our Saison blend and the other one was fermented with uh, lager yeast. And uh, that's been cool for beer nerds to taste. They're both on tap right now. Uh, did a bottle release of the Saison, and that's available now. And it's going into Tennessee distribution soon. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I think you got to be like a pretty high level beer nerd to like care about custom mall. <laughs> but the ones who, who get it, like it's really cool to them. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, yeah. I've, I've seen the same. It, Andrew, are you putting anything in package? Um, yeah, I, I can sheep shape uh, that that has this as base malt, um, and then I've got another batch of Warhorn. These are uh, what I'm calling farmhouse IPAs. So, you know, I, I, not to make up another IPA style, but I figured I'd make up another IPA style. And <laughs> sure. uh, so these are you know, kind of IPA ish, um, in, in how they're, you know, it's heavy whirlpool hops, um, decent amount of bitterness. Um, and then they're fermented with a couple different sack strains, a couple different Britannomyces strains, um, and fermented very hot. And, you know, the idea is to make a Brett beer that's 
made to be served relatively young. Uh, my my tank residency is about the same as the as a quicker logger. Um, so no, you know maybe a hair longer than a regular IPA, but I'm, this is not a beer to be aged. Uh, Pretendomyces is not sour beer. Very important. Everyone who's listening. Yes, amen. Uh, <laughs> but I, but yeah, I I feel like on those. Uh, for what it's worth, uh, they've they've dropped a little brighter. Um, the, the, like the clarity's been a little higher uh, earlier with this farmhouse pills. Um, so far, I think I put a little bit more thought in uh, into like kind of benchmarking things with uh, four horns, which is is uh, in the tank right now. It's just wrapping up the uh, the second stage of primary. Um, and that one, the ester profile is so much higher already. Um, it's, I, again, I have no idea of whether that's directly from the malt or from this round of, of Brutanomyces. Um, it's, it's always a little tough call, but yeah, I, if I can use this malt for those beers, I definitely will. Cause it does seem like I am getting a slightly quicker turn time and I'm definitely getting higher efficiency. Um, these go into an open fermenter, which on a five barrel system. I'm able to run into a thousand liter fermenter, and uh, you know, by the time it makes it through my system, I, I get a full like six and a half, seven barrel yield on a five barrel system, which is really good for the bottom line. Well, it's uh, sounding like all of the beer nerds uh, and malt nerds need to be getting to <laughs> Western North Carolina and Eastern Tennessee to uh, experience what you guys have going on right now. Yeah, yeah. They, these guys brew great beer, and uh, it, it's definitely uh, a, a must-see experience to, to swing by their shops when you're in the area. I love it. Um, I think we covered a lot of ground, so I'll say, uh, Andrew, Brent, and Chris, thanks for being on the show this week, and um, thanks for pushing experimentation forward. The, the beer world needs more of these ideas and then follow through these days, so I'm glad... Um, I'm glad to hear it's still happening and that you all are doing it. What's a cool innovation in the beer space that you want the world to know about? Tell me about it. You can email me. It's John Hall. That's J-O-H-N-H-O-L-L at allaboutbeer.com. Or you can tell me on X, the site formerly known as Twitter at John underscore Hall. That's also how you can get in touch with questions, comments, and guest suggestions. A reminder, go visit allaboutbeer.com. There you can check out the podcast page, the shop page, and read great new content, as well as the archives going back to 1979. You can also follow All About Beer on social media at All About Beer. And if you're interested in supporting journalism in the beer space, and we hope you are, email us at info at allaboutbeer.com or simply go to patreon.com slash allaboutbeer. Speaking of that, here's a quick word from this episode's sponsor. Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real <clears throat> POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash drinkbeer. That's all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash drinkbeer to take your retail business to the next level today. 
That's shopify.com slash drink beer. Don't forget all about beer has a podcast channel. Now search and subscribe on your podcast platform of choice. Steal this beer has new episodes every Monday and the BYO nano podcast comes out on the 15th of every month. As for this show, Nate Schweber does the music. Jeff Quinn designed our logo and I'm John Hall. New episodes release every Wednesday. And that's when I'm going to be back again to drink beer and to think beer.